Well, here we go again. All the talk on Wall Street this summer was all about the Federal Reserve stopping its tightening policy. Yet here we go where the narrative has changed. And now we're talking about not just one Fed rate hike, but possibly two before the end of the year. And who knows what that means for the rest are going into the new year. So we will see. Welcome, everyone, to Buy, Hold, Sell. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, Tobin Smith, out in sunny and hot Scottsdale, Arizona. It's I'm sure less it's hot, Todd. It's less hot now. Less okay. hot. Well, it's hot in New York, I got to tell you. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a scorcher here. But uh, but we have a very special guest with us today, and we really hope that, that she's going to be able to bring a lot of the um, answer a lot of the questions that we have regarding this market, because we know that you have them as well. We have with us Katie Stockton. She is the founding and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies out in beautiful Stanford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, Katie. Thanks so much, Todd. Good to see you both. Likewise. Well, I got to say, you have been, uh, you, you're a subject matter expert. Everybody knows this. Um, you're all over the news and, and everybody has you as their feature guest. So we appreciate you taking the time. Um, maybe if you could take a couple of minutes and just let the audience know what you and what Fairlead Strategies is all about. Yeah, thanks for that. Fairlead Strategies is probably best defined as an independent research provider focused on technical analysis. So we do publish research reports. In fact, I think we have seven different ones that we're publishing once a day, once a week, et cetera. And uh, our client base goes from an individual investor all the way up to a large asset manager. And we do consulting around that as well. And last year we launched an ETF. So I'm a portfolio manager for the uh, Fairlead Tactical Sector ETF or TAC, P-A-C-K. And uh, that's our primary focus, but all technicals, all the time, we believe technical analysis is essential in investing and complementary to other disciplines. Well, you're definitely busy. That's for sure. Yeah, it is awesome. So now we get to get to the real point. What the (laughs) F is going on here? And, uh, you know, I'm looking at, I'm just blown away how Apple drives the QQQ, how Apple drives these indexes. And now I've now built my Q, uh, QQ. It's everything in the 100 except for Apple, just so I can get a, a sense of that. Does it bewilder you or is it the technicals that are on the technicals? Yeah, well, it's definitely an impact, right? It, it does mean something because we see a day like today even where Apple's impact probably makes it look a lot weaker than the day actually was under the surface, just given its heavyweight sort of footprint. It used to be that we could get data really easily on what the market movers were. And and now all the data sources are being a little bit, um, you know, sort of stingy with that data. So we have to just back into it and understand and respect, you know, the impact that these heavyweights have. And it's been a real um, sort of challenge, I'd say, for folks this year, because, uh, you know, earlier in the year, it, it certainly veiled what was happening under the surface. So I think at year end, or if not already, a lot of people will say, well, wait a second, you know, it was a very strong year, but why doesn't my portfolio look very strong? Katie, I was looking over the research that um, that your firm had sent over and um, high quality research, by the way. So definitely want the audience to check out uh, fairleadstrategies.com for that. But with that, I noticed how bearish that uh, you seem to be, especially in you know, short term, you're, you're talking bearish, but even longer term, 
it doesn't seem like there's a lot of optimism. Did I misunderstand what I was reading or is that your take? No, you're, you're kind of catching it at a bad time is the way I would put it, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've been bullish really since I'd say May when we saw the major indices break out. But in August, we saw enough of a loss of momentum. It started out as short term and then it started to affect the intermediate term gauges as well. So we moved to a bearish bias, short term, intermediate term, and we're kind of in the midst of that. So that's what, where you're catching us sort of in this interim bearish position within what we have had for a while, which is a neutral long-term context, because we're treating the cyclical bull that's manifested itself in the major indices this year as a sort of move within a broader trading range. If we were to see the S&P 500 break out, we're watching 4,600 as a resistance area for one uh, you know, that would be a positive development. Our work is very dynamic. If something changes, we're going to change with it. And uh, that can be frustrating for some other, you know, folks that are, are publishing on, on, you know, macro research. And they say, well, how can it change so quickly? We're momentum followers. And uh, while we can't always explain moves, we, we're not the why people, we're more the what people. If it changes, we want to change with it. Katie, I'm, I'm, I was, I'm, every day now I, I check what the total algorithmic trading volume was, you know, uh, I get it like at 405 after the close of the market, right? Today, 74% of all trades were basically an algorithmic person who probably subscribes to your data and then puts it into their algorithm and says, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, a thousand times. Um, I spent some time with Renaissance Technologies last year, completely blew me away, right? These are guys, they're making trades every five seconds or, or milliseconds. But the impact of having so much algorithmic trading as the total volume, is, is that why you're so technically oriented? Because the fundamentals are basically thrown out the window? <laughs> you know, the, the technicals are, are always valid, right? You know, if we're wrong, it's not because the indicators are wrong. It's because of our interpretation of them. It's really math. Right. So we're, yeah. we're very comfortable with that approach to markets. It doesn't mean that fundamentals aren't important, uh, nor nor macro research or political inputs. I think those are the drivers, the driving forces of these trends. In addition to and this is here's here's the rub is it's market sentiment. So the behavioral yeah. element of the market participants is hugely impactful. And that's where you do find sometimes, you know, fundamental analysts might get burned or, or certainly frustrated when they can have a very sort of solid and uh, respectable opinion and view based on the data that they have, which, by the way, we're both looking at historical data, uh, you know, and yet they're just disjointed from the market. And I think it was Tom Dorsey, one of my old mentors in college, in fact, who taught me, he said, you know, 70% of the move in any given stock is driven by the market and its sector. And that was just sort of a number to throw out there. But the, the impact of that comment um, is really quite big because, you know, it is forces like what you're talking about that create that. And so I think it tells us we need to respect the top-down inputs, uh, you know, always look at the major indices and have an understanding as to whether you feel like you're on the right side of the prevailing trend over the time horizon that you're trading. Do you, Katie, do you give your, your uh, clients, I haven't said, sorry, I haven't seen your research as it comes out, but do you give them a time horizon on your, you know, trend? Uh, so, because um, I, you know, I have one account that I, that, that I manage. And our agreement with the owner of the account is 
that we're only long when when the certain things are all above the 50 day because she just can't take the pain for anything right i mean she she would be your perfect uh, customer um and <laughs> we were you know we've been like crushing it this year but as soon as the s&p's in she calls me and says tell me the s&p's under the 50 day what's going on I said well you're you know you're in cash or you're short i mean do you, do you get that specific uh with your oh. call yeah, for sure. And it, you actually bring up something really interesting, like a behavioral element, right? Uh, with that, because the 50-day moving average, we see that as a good gauge of the sort of short to intermediate term trend. If it's trending higher, well, you know, your your probabilities are better on the upside and vice versa. And so someone who's hyper-focused, and it's not just someone, it's a lot yeah. of computers right. that are hyper-focused on these levels that are very easy to track and to program that's why these levels matter in a way. And I don't want to call it self-fulfilling, but it's it's a behavioral element because people say, well, you know, if it breaks a 50-day moving average, that feels like enough of a trend shift that I want to manage risk through that. And so it's not out of line with the, the kind of uh, sort of calls that we make. Uh, ours are based on things like the 50-day moving average. We have a methodology that adheres to trend following gauges like that and overbought over sold measures and relative strength, also market internal measures like breath and sentiment. Those are all inputs and we approach it really very systematically in the same way that your client really is. And, um, you know, if you can just have, I mean, very simply like a long-term trend following gauge on your side, it doesn't have to be this full methodology like we have. I just think you'll be well well served by that. And it, you've seen that in real time this year. I, I think that, you know, it will help you minimize the drawdowns and the drawdowns are the killers. Yeah. Well, okay. the other thing I, I, that I, you know, that always I get a pushback on is, yeah, but you know, it's in a taxable account. So you know, if I'm changing, you know, if I'm just trend following, uh, I'm going to pay a, a here's a technical term, a shit ton of taxes because I, you know, I run sort of five million, <laughs> ten million dollar portfolios, and so the, you know, they'll say, hey, I understand, uh, hedge for me. You know, uh, I'll take the taxes on the hedge. Hopefully I make the profit on, but I can't. I mean, how do you get over that argument? Because I never win that argument. Yeah, I, and listen, like, I think now um, with all the new products on the market that provide sort of hedged equity exposure, I think we have much more options. So when we recommend hedging, which we do in times like this, and you know, we, we always give a time frame. We're saying, in fact, right now that we'd be hedged really with a target of, of early October or so uh, to get back to what we feel like is a fuller equity exposure. So we're maybe more bearish leaning short term, but we feel that this will yield a buying opportunity. So with that in mind, should people go out and, and sell all of their stocks yeah. that they have good gains? And no, absolutely not. So we recommend hedging strategies like buying inverse ETFs for one. Sure. Um, it's it's an opportunity for me to sort of plug an ETF like ours, TAC, in that we have the ability to do asset allocation and also sector rotation within an ETF wrapper, which then provides that sort of ability to avoid the tax implications of doing it yourself. So some of these active ETF strategies like ours will give you that nice tax wrapper that the only, you know, you're not going to get the capital gains distributions like a mutual fund. Right. You're not going to incur, you know, say the rotation from XLK to XLP or, or something of that nature. You know, Todd, well, I just want to let you know that I, that was not a setup on my part. Okay. Well, <laughs> but well, I appreciate it. Anyway. It was a layup, but it was not a setup. Okay. Well, I want to follow with that because on the ETF, you mentioned the sector rotation. I am curious, which sectors are you 
tr tracking or trading yeah, inside so that ETF? I mean, we have the 11 major economic sectors represented by the spider ETF. So think of it as a, a fund of funds in a way. And yeah. um, in, in uh, investing in those, we feel that we're getting exposure to the likes of Apple. Uh, you know, the, the market's rewarding. We, we have to trust this, right? Because we're not fundamental analysts, but we're trusting that the market's rewarding the best companies with the biggest market cap. And it's it's maybe been too trusting at times, uh, but we invest in these 11 major economic sectors and we'll equal weight them when they're fitting our sort of uh, trend qualifiers. And it's a very long term strategy, slow moving, designed to avoid, you know, getting drawn down in the 2008s and 2022s of, you know, the secular bull market that we tend to see the market adhere to. So we want to ride the uptrends when they're affecting our longer term indicators in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, if those sectors aren't fitting the bill, uh, we will move into a combination of short-term treasuries, long-term treasuries, and gold, also via ETFs, and that's simply to minimize drawdowns, to take the you know standard deviation lower, lower beta, and in in a way over history, it becomes something close to like a 60, 40, 70, 30 type of portfolio. But it's all doing it for you. It's all dynamic. Well, and, and Katie, you know the. I just love I love standard deviation. I'm I'm a standard deviant, right? Uh, I we follow a lot of various uh, you know industries and companies, so on and so forth. And some of the strategies that we've been using have been to use options instead of cash. In other words, keep but when I'm getting five and a half percent out of the out of the uh, interactive broker's account, then we're using options to give the person the upside. Uh, except, but the standard deviation is about two or three times less. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's you know. That's getting a little into the weeds, but I, I'm definitely going to look at your fund because I, I love the idea of of having long exposure, but just having it at a much less degree, but getting the ups, but not having, but but getting those ups with three or four times less risk is what I'm trying to say. That that's exactly right, and and that's you know it's sort of our I guess nature in um, our research as well. Our methodology is designed primarily, honestly, to help people manage risk. Um, yeah. As much as we, I'd say, probably get a reputation in the media as being a forecaster because that's what they're asking us. They say, you know, where where do you think the S and P five hundred yeah. is going to be in a month? Um, you know that that we can in, infer some things from our indicators, but we don't know. We're just trying to put probabilities in our favor. And also we're trying to understand where the, you know, sort of the market changes, right? We want to know not just what the prevailing trends are, but is it enough of a loss of momentum to dictate some repositioning? Um, what was interesting in, in developing our uh, models, and this happened sort of later in my career, um, I discovered that it, it made so much sense to be much more long-term and focused. I would have hoped I, I would learn that earlier in my career, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, we do get caught up you know, to a very high degree in our research in the short and intermediate term moves. And yet, as an investor, we really believe that the long term, um, you know, sort of investing makes a lot of sense. Uh, Toby, I want to interrupt you there because we're going to go to the break. But um, right. that is one thing that investors do not actually look into is the managing of risk. They're just simply looking at the managing of the returns. It sounds like you're really are, you're focusing on that management of risk. And that really is prudent. That helps the investor clearly over the long term. And I think that's something that gets um, forgotten 
by investors, especially on um, when uh, when markets are trending higher, of course. But listen, we're going to leave it there on this block. Go, coming up in the next block, we got to ask Katie all about treasury yields. We got to get into some of the bullish uh, areas that she's uh, looking at. Energy, some, uh, energy. We, we need to know energy. where oil is going. We got to talk about momentum plays. We have a few other surprises as well. So sticking with us right now is Katie Stockton. She's the founding and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies. You definitely want to go to fairleadstrategies.com, see what Katie is writing about and their entire staff. It's wonderful stuff. High level, high quality, something that uh, that also is also is forgotten on Wall Street sometimes, but they have they are they're cornering it right now. Which, Todd, what are you saying? My research is low quality. Is that what you're saying? I love your research. I, I, I read your research all the time. Oh, it's the best research ever. Next, next you and Katie are one and one A right there. All right, listen, stick with us after the break. We'll be right back. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. Did you know virtually all vessels traveling in the U.S. have to be American-built, owned, and crewed? That's thanks to the Jones Act, which is the bedrock of the American maritime industry. On the American Maritime Podcast, we cover the topics that matter most to the 650,000 men and women of American Maritime, while also being accessible for the average listener to learn about this industry. Every episode features a new guest, including congressional leaders, senior military officials, leading policy analysts, and other experts. Come aboard and listen wherever you get your podcasts or watch on the American Maritime Partnerships YouTube channel. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers every episode of double down with breslow is packed with insider tips deeply skilled analysis and in-depth discussions don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting listen to double down with breslow on the evergreen podcast network or wherever you listen to podcasts that's double down with breslow the business of sports betting podcast hi my name is sarah and i want to tell you about my podcast called Can I offer you some feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. This is Jessica from Jay Walker Salon Group, and you're watching Tobin and Todd from Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. With us today is 
Katie Stockton. She's the founder and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies. And also joining me is Tobin Smith, of course. And Katie, when we left it at the end of the block, we were talking about managing risk, but we were talking about on the equity side with your ETF that you're managing. Let's start talking about bonds and treasuries right now. So you have the 10-year yield right now. It's, it actually uh, it's a little higher. We saw bonds sell off. We're at four and a quarter percent right now. How high are your charts telling you that that 10-year yield is going to go? Yeah, I mean, and I try to look at it really very um, strictly from a technical perspective, not because we're the driving force of any of the move, but we just want to try to understand it from a trend following perspective. So when I throw out a number, uh, that number has nothing to do with uh, the Fed, right, or anything, or any policy. It's simply where we've seen yields top out perhaps in the past. What we feel on, on yields just more broadly is that we've seen a secular shift that we hadn't seen in decades. So for a lot of us, or I, I don't know, I'm sort of on the cusp, but um, it's it's unlike an environment that we have ever experienced um, where we're expecting yields to work higher over time. We can see within that context, yields come in for a couple of years and then resume higher. But we, we do believe, based on the longer-term downtrend channel that had been in place since the 80s, that now we're seeing this advance. And with that in mind, we want to trust that there's more upside for yields over the long term. And that's our context. But you know, when we evaluate the shorter-term gauges on the 10-year yields, we, we're looking for consolidation. We publish on them on a weekly basis. And obviously, we're involved in them as well. The consolidation phase, we suspect, will be essentially a pause to refresh the uptrend. We've already seen some of that from earlier this year. 10-year yields have resistance, so a place where they've topped out before around 434. And if we were to see a breakout above that level, and we always look for breakouts to be decisive, like a couple of weeks above. And and Toby, you'll you'll appreciate this. That's largely because of the machines that that game game the levels that are so widely followed. Uh, When we get that decisive breakout, and here's my number, uh, you know, five and a quarter is the next level. Wow. Yeah. See, your face is is like many <laughs> macro strategists I talk to. Yeah. Um, you know, it can be a, a shocking wow. number. Um, but listen, we've been there before. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily a target or an objective, but it's just simply the next level of importance on the chart. And I don't think we can rule that out in, in the coming, you know, maybe it's a year or two years. Um, but in the interim, we are looking for some signs of upset exhaustion that we have from our overbought over sold metrics to yield some consolidation in yields and therein some step, uh, stabilization in the treasury market. Well, for everybody at home, understand this. If Katie's right, and the yeah. 10-year goes to five and a quarter. That means, that means the 10-year bond that you own is going to depreciate 18%. I mean, people yeah. don't quite understand that last year, the pension guys who just basically live on, if I could just make 8% a year, I can actually pay my you know, my pensions. They lost 24% in their bond portfolios if they did not hedge them. Mm-hmm. Now, n- no one, I guarantee you, other than me here, was alive when <laughs> we had, you know, when I was selling 17% yielding bonds, Katie, to pensions in 1982 at 30 Long years, time ago. 30 <laughs> years and, and telling them, if you just would shut up and listen to me and buy the 17% yielding 30 year 
that bond will be worth eight to 10 times what you're paying for it now. And you will have gotten 13% or 17% for 30 years. Right. And they all looked at me like I had five heads. And when you haven't had this bear, that's pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> but but what you just said is, this is what always gets me. So the private investor says, yeah, I'm going to buy the safe stuff. I'm going to buy safe bonds. And mm -hmm. then a year later, a client comes to me and says, Toby, I'm down 24% in my blankety blank blank Merrill Lynch safe bond fund. Um, and I, I, they didn't explain that to you, uh, uh, Tommy? No, they did not yeah. explain it to me, but I'm down $2.1 million but, in my right. bond yeah. It's a, we're now we're now in this stage of the show where Toby's doing the impressions. But, but Katie, <laughs> if, if we do see a five and a quarter percent uh, hit on that 10 year yield, I mean, what does that mean for the markets? Well, I, I mean, the, you'd infer that it's not good for equities. That, it, right. It's been really There's no Santa Claus rally. <laughs> yeah. Of late, what we've seen is that it's, it's more um, the, the velocity behind an up move versus an up move itself, that seems to be a hit on equity market sentiment. So maybe if we see a grind higher over time, it'll be less impactful to equities, or maybe it will certainly just affect you know, the, the interest rate sensitive sectors, but perhaps others will be able to forge higher. Um, whereas if it just Bust through and it does so in dramatic fashion. Well, well, that could be pretty painful. Um, and and you know, it's an environment we'll just have to adapt to if we get to that place. And I, I think if yields do break out, which we think they ultimately should, uh, you know, that would maybe be a challenge to the major indices in reaching new highs. So well, that's why we're still at that kind of neutral long-term bias until we see these proof points to suggest that okay, we're kind of out of the woods now. Um, you know, does it mean that if we see a breakout in equities, we're still going to believe that we don't want to become uh, sort of married to historical correlations in a way, uh, but rather respect trends and momentum as they're unfolding. As an example, uh, Toby, you mentioned energy, right? So we can talk yeah. about energy in this um, sort of line of thought in that, you know, is an energy breakout necessarily good when it's related to crude oil breaking out? And does that mean something else should be going down? Or what does that mean for the uh, sort of macro takeaways? It's more like, nope, we see a breakout in energy and we want to take advantage of it. So we don't get too caught up in um, the intermarket relationships when we're talking about intermediate term trading, but we certainly keep them in mind when we're talking about the long-term outlook. Well, I mean, let's just say quickly that long duration assets, which is a very wonderful way to say uh, tech stocks that don't have earnings. And so they're discounting them 30 years into the future to come up with, you know, the Fakakta idea of what they value these things at. It has to have some correlation because just Todd, I would just, there's a correlation math uh, that uh, we use. If we were at five and a quarter on the 10 year, um, that would that would have the, the QQQ down about 18%. Uh, is wow. roughly, roughly how I do the math. And that would simply be because of the present value of those future earnings has to be discounted at such, uh, you know, such a high rate um, mm -hmm. and and blah, blah, blah. So now I get, I'm getting chills down my back, five and a quarter. Okay, Katie, listen, we have to have you well, on. Well, 
how about this? So, so to manage that risk, right? Um, yeah. What about applying a very simple trend following gauge, right? Where we can judge, it, you know, the 50 day moving average, maybe it's maybe it's the monthly MACD indicator, which is one of our uh, preferred gauges. Yeah. If that changes, um, well, that's going to be information that there's enough of a shift underway, ir- irrespective of the driving force yields or otherwise, uh, that that you need to be managing risk. So it just gives you a sense of of, you know, do you want to be more risk on or risk off in your positioning? And then to have the macro context and realize that, that wow, you know, the, the history would justify that kind of pullback, then that should, in a way, make you more respectful of any kind of loss of momentum. So I think of it as a great way that this is sort of the complementary nature of the discipline, where if someone has these macro views and they're they're based on, you know, very good data, long-term, et cetera, well, then they should be all that much more respectful of yeah, it. I mean, again, the, the context, however, is when we raised rates to 16% and my mortgage was 15% in 1982, the entire debt of the United States was about $238 billion. Today, we've just, and, and the average rate of a bond has been five and a quarter percent for basically forever until we went to free money, right? So now we're raising rates. If we go to five and a quarter, then all of a sudden the debt service of the United States of the federal goes to eight and a half or nine percent, number one. And number two, the reason why those interest rates would be going up is we're going to have to issue another eight trillion dollars worth of bonds to meet all our deficit spending. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. is no historical context for having a twenty five trillion dollar uh, economy with a forty trillion dollar debt load paying five and a quarter percent. I mean, I, I think that would be as bearish a scenario as you could make for the stock market, and in my humble yeah. opinion. Yeah, and, that, and that's why that, that number does get the shock value. So I'm I'm yes. well aware <laughs> of the reaction oh, yeah. that it elicits. That's a that's a headline. We'd be doing this. Sure. I would have my gold teeth rack on. I like gold. And what, what, <laughs> and so real quick though, Katie, I, before we we yeah. close out the show, I want to ask you this. You were uh, very bullish in your recent research on home builders and with rates going up. Is that a, it seems to be an oxymoron there that you would you know, be actually, actually bullish this, on that side. No, this week we've been um, more bearish on home builders. Okay. So we did publish a chart of ITB, one of the ETFs representing the space. And um, we wanted to present it as a long-term uptrend and kind of respect that it, it's been very, very strong, but also mm-hmm. to, to highlight the loss of momentum there. So, because it has become a bit more of an intermediate term uh, reversal to the downside, more mm-hmm. significant than what we've seen for a long time. And so, we want to respect that for exactly the same reasons that we've been discussing, right? So it was more to say, okay, we want to be hedged right now. We want to be reduced in exposure. At some stage, we do expect and we trust the market to trend, right? So we, we mm-hmm. suspect that the trend, the uptrend will resume. Uh, but the overall takeaway, and this is somewhat in falling with, you know, let, let's let the market prove itself to us. We feel that the next buying opportunity, it, it may not have a ton of shelf life, right? Because if if we do see resistance discovered quickly again for re- reasons perhaps related to, to yields, 
well, then, you know, at least we've been there, right? At least we have the opportunity to take advantage of an up move. Uh, but we're not ready to say that we can, uh, you know, kind of buy and hold. Um, so that's why some kind of rotational strategy uh, makes a lot of sense. Something that has, you know, a, a little bit of balance to it, where you're finding lesser correlations from different asset classes. Gold is a, a great example of that. Um, and to have it almost like a barbell type of approach to the yeah. markets. And so quick, Katie, um, uh, you know, on a positive note, what are you what, what are you buying or, or if, if anything? Well, yeah. So recently on CNBC, I, I re recommended the uranium space. <laughs> yes, yes, and I took your advice. Excellent. By the way, so, I, I, so you can see, I, I had to dig kind of deep to get there to get something <laughs> to recommend. Um, so we we are buyers of gold. We are buyers of selected areas within sort of the energy and uh, commodities complex. We're we're constructive, but not necessarily with the long term time horizon. But for now, we feel fairly confident uh, that we have some upside there. Otherwise, we're just waiting for the entry. We we take top-down inputs and sort of within that, we want to make sure that we have the odds in our favor. So we're going to wait until the, the market tells us to get more exposed, and then we'll revisit what we feel are the leading sectors of the market, technology, communication services, mega caps. But even, um, I don't know if you all have noticed, but as of late August, I mean, we actually saw miniature breakouts. Well, no, in mm -hmm. the small and mid cap tech space. So something like a Splunk or an Okta, you know, some of these, right. um, you mm -hmm. know, higher growth, high beta, you know, uh, areas of the market that you would suspect should have been more challenged, people flocked right back to them. So in a way, it, it's probably just something that we can take advantage of again, short term, uh, but it, it could at least lead to a, a better finish for this year for Q4. Hey, you know, okay. Quickly, Todd. Quickly, Todd. Yeah. I, I, on days like yesterday and today, if I had the time, but I I look at the tape for like the last hour, and, mm -hmm. and because we're heavily involved in technology, and right to Katie's point, while Apple's down four percent, and I go, the software as a service enterprise software as a service companies are down fifty cents. You know, mm -hmm. they're two hundred. You know. No one was selling those. Yeah. Uh, and that's why it sends to me that the algos are in such control here that they, they don't care about that stuff. But they, you know, when they see the move, they, they accentuate the Apple move. They accentuate, yeah. you know, the Amazon move. And yet, Octa, to your point, um, uh, ServiceNow was, you know, up $3 mm -hmm. yesterday when everything's caving. There's some real strength in there. And when next time we have Katie back on, we'll get a yeah. couple of the... Uh, software as a service. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems to be a space that people gravitate towards for beta. And uh, that probably will be the case on the next step move once we get out of this correction. Cool. Absolutely. Well, we're going to leave it right there because, Katie, we could talk for hours about this stuff. We have so many other subjects we love to address, but we're going to close out the show with awesome. this. So, so with that, Katie, thank you so much for joining of us course. today. You were fantastic. We definitely hope to have you back on the show and uh, where we could follow up on some of those other subjects. So That's on behalf great. of Katie Stockton at Fairlead Strategies, please go to fairleadstrategies.com. See what Katie has to write about all the research from her and her crew. They, uh, it's excellent research. And of course, Tobin Smith, tobinsmith.io. Toby, I gave you a plug. I had to throw it out Jeez, there. Jeez, I got a big for it. Did you say go to tobinsmith.io? 
My yes, tobinsmith.io. Oh, yes, tobinsmith.io. Go check it out. Everybody, we're going to crash the server. Absolutely. <laughs> so, 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 Katie, thanks again for joining us, and um, and we definitely will uh, we'll catch you next time. And coming up next on the next show, we have Jeffrey Hurst from the Stock Traders Almanac, a show you definitely don't want to miss. He's going to tell you all about what um, what history tells us about September. So, thanks again right, for joining us. <laughs> look at look at Katie has. She's got it right there. That's awesome. So, <laughs> All right, thanks again for joining us, and take care. We'll catch you next time. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. I want you to smash that like button. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.